Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid, such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. From the podcast team at Qalam, we wanted to wish you a very blessed Ramadan. This month, you can expect daily uploads that will include reflections, khatiras, and khutbas, all from our new campus, alhamdulillah. If you benefit from this content, please give generously at supportgalam.com. 100% of your donations today go towards the means of providing accessible Islamic knowledge to people around the world. Jazakumullah khair. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. So inshallah, to go ahead and get started with the program for today, the very first thing that we're going to be covering, that we're going to be talking about, is a brief uh, account of the history of the month of Ramadan, and then we're going to, more importantly, go into what we call the fiqh of Ramadan. Fiqh basically refers to jurisprudence or the technicalities of the month of Ramadan, the do's and the don'ts and the how and how to's of the month of Ramadan, specifically in regards to fasting in the month of Ramadan, inshallah. So first and foremost, obviously, uh, the month of Ramadan is the ninth month of the lunar calendar. That's the calendar that is kept by the phases of the moon. And the word Ramadan, quite literally, in the Arabic language, in its origins, in its etymology, it means um, something that is very severely hot, scorching earth, and that's what it means. Um, most of the historians and the linguists, they say, the reason why it took on that name was because in that particular year that they first named the month of Ramadan, Ramadan, it was actually in the summertime because as we're accustomed to, the lunar calendar moves through and shifts through the solar calendar. So that's why Ramadan finds itself in different seasons. Um, but that's a little bit about the history of Ramadan. Then Ramadan specifically, the Quran says, Ya amanu, kutiba kama kutiba min That O you who believe, fasting has been mandated upon you. It has been made mandatory upon you as it was upon the people that came before you. 
so that you may develop taqwa, you may develop a sense of God consciousness. So fasting is a very central part of the experience of the month of Ramadan. So fasting in the Arabic language, the word for it is as-sawm. As-sawm. What does sawm mean? Sawm literally in the Arabic language means to abstain, to stay away from something. And technically, Islamically speaking, it is when a person with the intention firmly made in the heart, a person abstains from three things, from the break of dawn, which we know as the start of Fajr time, until the setting of the sun, which we know as the start of Maghrib time. So from Fajr to Maghrib, when a person has an intention, and then they abstain from three things for that duration. Those three things are that a person abstains from eating, a person abstains from drinking, anything, and a person thirdly abstains from intercourse with one's spouse, uh, intimacy between married couples. So who is obligated to fast in Ramadan? Who has the responsibility and the obligation to fast in Ramadan? There are a few conditions. Number one, obviously goes without saying that a person who is Muslim. Number two is a person who has reached puberty, has attained the age of adulthood. Children are not obligated to fast. Yes, the Prophet ﷺ talked about start training your children to pray, for example, from the age of seven and then from the age of 10, start developing within them a sense of responsibility to pray. And so one can mirror that for fasting, but that is simply a, a training exercise. It is simply to develop good habits within them, but it technically does not become obligatory upon someone until they become an adult. Number three, that a person is mentally sound, of sound mind, that a person has full cognition, is fully functional, that they um, are then obligated to fast. Number four is they are physically healthy enough to withstand the rigors of fasting. That fasting will not cause them to become severely detrimentally ill. All right. And this is within this fourth category. There's a few offshoots of this, a few um, scenarios that this addresses. This is why we typically hear that when women are pregnant or when mothers are nursing their children, that they are excused from fasting. The reason for that is because, again, it could detrimentally affect them or the baby. Similarly, another kind of offshoot from this is the elderly or those who are chronically and terminally ill. That's why they are also excused from the fasting because, once again, the fasting would have a very severely negative impact on their well-being and their health. And fifthly, five, is that women are not obligated to fast while they are on their uh, monthly cycle or when they are in the duration of the postnatal period. They are not obligated to fast during that time. And that's going to be further addressed later on, inshallah. So when do we fast? I already talked about this, that we fast from the break of dawn until the setting of the sun. All right. So from Fajr to Maghrib, essentially, the start of Fajr to the start of Maghrib. And similarly, overall, when do we fast? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمُ الشَّهْرَ فَلْيَسُمْهُ Whoever 
experiences, finds themselves in the month of Ramadan, which the Prophet says in narration, that fast when you sight the new moon, and then stop fasting, meaning Ramadan is over once again when you sight the new moon, or the month reaches 30 days. So that's what determines the onset of the month of Ramadan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran addresses how we go about fasting on a daily basis in Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 187. Allah says, eat and drink. So you can eat and drink all throughout the night up until the break of dawn. And this expression was used in the Quran in classical Arabic that illustrates when the break of dawn occurs. And that is you can separate the white thread from the black thread. And that's basically speaking in a metaphor in terms of what happens in the sky at the time of the break of dawn. As the ancient Arabs called it. Of course, this whole conversation usually ends up being a really foreign concept to us because of all the pollution and all the lights and everything that we have. We are not able to really properly observe the break of dawn. Uh, but if you ever find yourself out, you know, away from civilization, uh, if you find yourself on a mountain, if you find yourself out in the wilderness, that's something that you are able to actually observe. And then once you are fasting at the break of dawn, you fast until the night begins. And the night begins with the setting of the sun. So how do we exactly fast? Obviously, we wait the month of Ramadan to begin. Number two, we make an intention. There's a little bit of a difference of opinion here. I'm not going to go into the weeds on these kinds of issues. I'm going to give you just some general guidelines. Um, number one, there is an opinion that says that you can just have an intention at the beginning of the month of Ramadan that the next whole month, I'm going to be fasting for Ramadan and that is sufficient. However, more of the scholars, they, what they recommend is that every morning, uh, at that time of Fajr, when you are starting your fast, that you have that intention that you are fasting for Ramadan. The intention does not have to be verbal, even though in many cultures there is kind of a verbal intention that people recite. That's just once again to give people some kind of instruction. Um, there's nothing wrong with it per se, uh, unless somebody you know thinks that somehow their fast wasn't valid if they didn't say those exact words. But... At the same time, you generally just have to know I'm about to start fasting because it's the month of Ramadan. Number three, it's not mandatory, but it is recommended by the Prophet ﷺ. He said, Saharu, baraka. He said that before Fajr time comes in, wake up and eat something, drink something. The Prophet ﷺ even demonstrated that when you don't need a lot or you don't even have a lot, like as in the case of the Prophet ﷺ and the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, you can just simply have a date and drink a sip of water. And on many occasions, that's all the Prophet ﷺ did. But he did say, still wake up before Fajr time starts and have something. Because there's blessing and barakah in it. Because it also shows a sense of diligence, right? It shows like some due diligence. It shows that you took it seriously. Right. Otherwise, you know, people can fall into kind of a, a habit of taking Ramadan for granted by doing what? 
that before you go to sleep, you basically eat as much as humanly possible and then some, and then you pass out, all right, into a lack of consciousness, and you hope you wake up for for the Fajr prayer, okay? And that's just not a good way to go about observing Ramadan, setting your alarm, waking up a little bit early. And now when you do end up waking up a little bit early, you know what that time is called? That's a time of tahajjud. It's a time of the acceptance of prayers. So if you wake up even 15 minutes before Fajr comes in, and you're like, I don't need a lot, you know, I, five minutes is enough. I'm just going to eat two bites and drink some water. But now you have 10 minutes at the most precious time of the day to be able to make whatever dua it is that you want to make to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where that is the time of night when Allah announces to all of His creation, is there anyone who needs anything because I will give it to you? Is there anyone who wants to be forgiven because I will forgive you? Is there anyone who wants to go to paradise? Because I will grant it to you, right? So it's a very uh, blessed time, a very beautiful opportunity. Number four is that obviously, as we talked about, you refrain from eating and drinking, and of course, uh, sexual intercourse from dawn to sunset. And then fifthly, once the sunset occurs, the time of Maghrib comes in, then at that time, you break your fast. That's called iftar. You resume eating and drinking, you break your fast. And a quick little note about that, unless it happens incidentally, or coincidentally, that let's say the time for breaking the fast comes in at 8 p.m., as an example, um, then you know you just lost track of time or you were stuck in traffic or whatever the case was, and it went 10, 15, 20 minutes past the time that the fasting was done. That's a different story because that was incidental. But deliberately, nobody should ever extend their fast once Maghrib time has come in. Because the Prophet ﷺ said that my ummah, la tazal ummati bi khayr, that my ummah will always remain upon goodness so long as they break their fast when the time of breaking fast comes in. They do it right away. Do it right away. So we talked about the pre-dawn meal and we talked about this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. We talked about breaking our fast as soon as the time comes in. And there is actually, right, a lot of times we're used to, you know, uh, there seems to be a lot of, uh, you know, there seems to be a lot of significance or a lot of focus around people making sure they have dates for breaking the fast. So somebody might think that that's a cultural thing. Um, and maybe it is, partially. But there's also a religious spiritual significance to it. There's this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which the Prophet ﷺ said, When any one of you is fasting, you should break your fast using dates. That if you do not find dates, then at least use water. And water is a source of purification. So, Let's get into some of the, you know, kind of nitty gritty of this. What nullifies the fast? And then we'll, of course, also talk about what does not. So what, what, in, what nullifies? What will violate your fast? So between that Fajr and Maghrib time, what are the things that if you do, you've messed up your fast? And then similarly, we'll also talk about, well, what is the consequence of messing up your fast?
All right. So let's learn three terms here very quickly. Number one is qada. Simply translates to making the fast up. Making up for a fast. Number two, the second term is kafara. Kafara translates to expiation. But because nobody knows what that means, we'll call it penalty. All right. It's called a penalty. Number three is fidya. Fidya technically means ransom. All right. But here what it refers to is a payment. A financial offering. All right. That's typically what a ransom is. Um, so it's a payment or a financial offering. All right. And we're going to come back to these terms. I need everyone to be equipped with these terms. Okay. What are, there are three things that if you do them while you are fasting, you will, you have messed up your fast. You have violated a fast of the month of Ramadan, one. And number two, you have also disrespected the sanctity of the month of Ramadan. Because Ramadan's not a small thing, right? Ramadan's not just, you know, it is all these things. It is a beautiful time. It is a spiritual time. It is a rewarding time and so on and so forth. But Ramadan is also very sacred, right? The Quran talks about Ramadan, Shahru Ramadan. The Prophet ﷺ said that Ramadan and fasting in Ramadan is one of the five pillars of our religion. So there are three things that if you do these three things, you have messed up your fast, so you got to make up that fast after Ramadan. You have one fast to make up. And by doing this, you have disrespected the sanctity of the month of Ramadan. So now you have to do the penalty. You have to pay the penalty. All right. And we'll talk about that penalty. Those three things are if you intentionally eat. Again, to answer the natural follow-up question, not accidentally, not forgetfully. We're going to be talking about that. This is like deliberately eating where you are a Muslim sane adult who is perfectly healthy and you are fasting and you are aware of the fact that you are fasting and you are aware of the fact that if you eat, then it is violating the fast of Ramadan and you still deliberately do it. All right. Same thing with intentionally drinking. And thirdly is, of course, um, once again, in the case of uh, couples engaging in not just intimacy. I have to be a little bit uh, clear and explicit here. So um, pardon the explicitness. It's not just intimacy where couples are uh, embracing or kissing or hugging or holding hands or anything like that. It is specifically related to sexual intercourse. If that occurs, then the penalty has been inflicted. All right. These are some examples of things that if they occur, then you have to make up for that fast, but you do not have to pay the penalty. Okay. Number one, if you intentionally vomit, right? If you make yourself throw up, You've messed up the fast. You will have to make up that fast, but you don't have to pay the penalty. There's a, a comment there. What about if you unintentionally fast, uh, unintentionally vomit while fasting? You throw up and it's not in your control. You didn't try to throw up. You didn't make yourself throw up. You just vomited. All right. That does not mess up your fast. If it was not too bad, 
where you feel like you can continue fasting, you are allowed to continue fasting. But obviously, if you feel sick afterwards, then you're excused and you'll just have to make up that day afterwards. Number two, travel. If you are traveling a distance that is further than 48 miles from where you reside, where you live, then that is considered an official journey in Islamic law. So if you are undertaking a journey, it does not matter how comfortable it is. It does not matter how easy it is. It doesn't matter how used to it you are. It technically is classified as a journey in Islam. And you are allowed to not fast while you are traveling if you'd like to. You can continue to if you'd like to. But you are, have the option of not fasting if you don't want to. You'll just have to make up the number of days that you didn't fast. Number three, smoking. All right? So smoking does violate the fast. All right? So you did mess up your fast. Technically speaking, you won't have to pay the penalty, but you will have to make up that fast afterwards. This is not a comment on the legitimacy of it or not. This is just informing people of the rules. Number four, temporary sickness. All right, if you are sick, you are ill, you are allowed once again to not fast, to excuse yourself from fasting. Whatever number of days you did not fast, you'll just have to make up that number of days after Ramadan. And fifthly, taking medications, right? So whether it be nose drops or inhalers or taking pills, all of that is not allowed to do while you are fasting. If you have to do it, you have a medical excuse. You may go ahead and do what you need to do. Take your inhaler, take whatever medications orally you have to take. And you'll just make up those number of days after the month of Ramadan. And if somebody is of a medical condition where they're never going to have a time where they can go even 12 hours with not, without having to use an inhaler or take medication orally, then they fall into that category where they are excused from fasting because of a medical condition, right? That is a chronic condition. And they will be making payments, which we're going to be talking about. Fidya, making the payment. So this is, a, this is the category of people who do not fast in the month of Ramadan. Instead of fasting, they make a payment if they can afford it. If they can't afford it, then of course, God does not obligate anyone beyond their capacity. But if they can afford it, they will make this sadaqah, this charity, as an offering because they are not able to fast. Okay? And there are typically three situations. Number one is chronic illness, which we just talked about. Number two is old age. Right? So if somebody is very, very elderly and frail and weak to the point where fasting would be very harmful and detrimental to them. And that, of course, you know, should be confirmed with medical experts. Um, then they are excused from fasting. Then they will give that um, they will give that sadaqah. And I'll talk about what that sadaqah is. And number three is terminal illness. If somebody is very severely terminally ill, then they once again are excused from fasting and they will be making that fidya and that financial offering. Now, what is that financial offering? That is giving a sadaqah every day that the person is not able to fast. 
So, for example, if there are 30 days in the month of Ramadan, the amount of sadaqah ranges very honestly, but to make it easy for people to be able to calculate, it's safe to, ca- to estimate it at $10 a day. $10 a day. So if somebody is very elderly, somebody is terminally ill, somebody has a chronic condition, they basically will give $300 in sadaqah, in charity, and it can go in any kind of general charity uh, bucket. It can go into any category of general charity. And that will be essentially their offering, which is substituting their fasting. All right? That hopefully makes sense. Now, here are just a few clarifications because uh, something that you come to learn and realize is there are um, maybe more misconceptions about what breaks your fast, maybe more than anything else. All right? Um, wudu is a close second, right? That if you look in a mirror, it breaks your wudu, right? And things like that. I'm not making fun of people, right? Because people don't know until they know, right? But there are misconceptions. So there are a ton of misconceptions. So here's a few things that do not break your fast. You keep on fasting. Number one, certain you know natural bodily functions. If you throw up or you cough up or you spit up, that didn't break your fast. As long as you don't feel sick. If you feel sick, you can excuse yourself then. But if you're fine, then keep on fasting. Number two, saliva. Okay? I'm not even sure how to explain this. <laughs> but having saliva doesn't break your fast, right? Like, but I guess what people maybe sometimes are confused about is if they have a buildup of like saliva in their mouth and they kind of feel like they swallowed their saliva, their spit, that does not break your fast. All right? Number three, nocturnal emission which basically refers to that if somebody is sleeping and they have, um, you know, uh, a sexual climax while they are sleeping, uh, what is a lot of times colloquially referred to as a wet dream, then that does not nullify or break the fast. Number four, impurity. What does impurity mean? It means going to the restroom. Obviously, going to the restroom does not nullify your fast. The next category is hygiene. Showering does not break your fast. Please shower. Um, <laughs> before you come for Taraweeh. And miswak, brushing your teeth, does not break your fast. Unless, now obviously that le- the Prophet ﷺ would use siwak. He would use the stick. Right? We've all maybe seen it. Um, and the Prophet ﷺ, Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu ta'ala anha, the mother of the believers, the wife of the Prophet Aisha, she says he used to do siwak so much while he was fasting that I lost count of the number of times he cleaned his mouth with his siwak. Now, that brings up the question, well, what about brushing your teeth and using toothpaste and all of that, right? Technically speaking, again, that will not break your fast unless you sit there and you are eating toothpaste. Then whether or not that broke your fast is the least of your concerns. The next issue, accidental things, swallowing things accidentally. It's the first day of Ramadan. You know, uh, you just wake up in the morning and very habitually, you kind of walk into your kitchen and you pick up something and you put it in your mouth and you eat it. And then 60 seconds later, you're like, oh no, I'm fasting. That's accidental. Same thing with drinking, right? First day of Ramadan, you walk by the water fountain. It's a habit you have. You get a sip of water, 
And then you recall, then you remember the hadith of the Prophet says, say Alhamdulillah, keep on fasting for Allah has fed you. Okay, that's a, that's a bonus, that's a gift from Allah. Dust. If you're, again, just in a place that's very dusty or there's dust blowing in the air or something like that, and it, you feel it go in your mouth, that will not break your fast. Same thing with bugs. All right, no, not eating bugs. If you accidentally swallow a bug, okay, you weirdos, then it will not break your fast. Medicinal. Certain medical things do not nullify your fast. Because the main component, again, I don't want to get too nerdy and technical here, but the main issue is basically something reaching your stomach or something being swallowed. Those are the two identifying features that the scholars mentioned that nullify the fast. So if you receive an insulin shot, if you receive an injection, um, you know, there were a lot of questions over the last, uh, last Ramadan about getting, the vac getting a vaccination while you're fasting or getting even an IV while you're fasting. It technically does not break your fast, but if you're getting an IV, hopefully that, you know, uh, meaning not hopefully, but, you know, that probably is because you're not feeling well. And then at that point you're sick and you probably shouldn't be fasting anyways. Um, similarly, applying things on the exterior of your body, oil, lotion, eyeliner, cologne, etc., does not nullify your fast unless you're swallowing it and eating it. Um, and then there is some difference of opinion on eye drops and eardrops. There's some difference of opinion. Um, it's better to abstain from it. Um, but in my understanding, if I may share it, uh, I draw a distinction between eardrops and eye drops. Eardrops I would advise staying away from. Eye drops would not be problematic. And ultimately Allah knows best, but there's a difference of opinion on that for the record. Now, just a little bit of a spiritual component of fasting. And then I'll wrap this up. Um, these are things that you should not do. And what I mean by that is, It won't uh, break or nullify your fast. But what it will do is that it's not good conduct. It's somewhat disrespectful to fasting. Number one is tasting food. Kind of like put it in your mouth and be like, I didn't swallow, I didn't swallow. Like, what are you doing? This isn't a game, right? You're worshiping Allah, right? The, the Prophet tells us that Allah says, Fasting is for me. And I will reward my servant for his fasting, his or her fasting. So don't behave in that way. Chewing on things, right? That's not behavior that's becoming of a fasting person. Lying, fighting, cursing, name-calling, abusing, backbiting, complaining. Okay, let me start there. Stop before the complaining. This lying and fighting and cursing and backbiting. The Prophet ﷺ went as far as saying that somebody who fasts, physically, technically, but does not abstain from these kinds of things, then he said, God has no need of you starving yourself. Meaning all you're basically doing is starving yourself. You've lost all the reward and the spiritual benefit of fasting. Complaining. What that means is when you are complaining about fasting, would seem to become just kind of sport, right? Who can have the funnier joke, right? Um, and again, Right? That it's just not appropriate and it's not respectful of the worship of Allah. 
Um, no marathons. What I mean by that is, I understand running club is here, but um, what it means by no marathons is don't voluntarily exert yourself while fasting if you are a sane, healthy Muslim adult. Ramadan, fasting in Ramadan is mandatory. It's not a lifestyle choice. Okay? It's not optional. It's mandatory. God said it. So if I all of a sudden decide to round up the guys and go play full court ball for two hours, and then all of a sudden I'm collapsing on the ground due to just, you know, dehydration, and now I have to leave my fast, otherwise I'm going to die. Like, I created that situation. That is self-inflicted. And frankly, it's called stupidity, right? So don't do that, right? And if you are so gung-ho about whatever your physical activity is, do it at night or save it for after the month of Ramadan. But this is about sacredness. Ramadan is sacred. Um, wasting water, um, obviously, just in general, wasting water, uh, the Prophet ﷺ talked about it, but deeply inhaling water during wudu. So a lot of times when you make wudu, like you gargle, or you take water up the nose, etc. The Prophet said, don't do that when you're fasting. Just lightly rinse out your mouth and just kind of clean your nose just with your fingers. But don't take water into your throat at the back of your mouth. Don't take water up into your nose because you risk swallowing that water and once again jeopardizing your fast. Um, missing other fara'id. What does that mean? That's essentially the main thing is praying five times a day. All right, keep up with your prayers because there's just something very inconsistent about I'm fasting and then just missing my prayers. Again, it's a struggle. It's something we're all constantly working on, but let's just be a little bit more mindful and diligent about it during the month of Ramadan and while we're fasting. And hopefully that'll give us the strength and the consistency that we need to continue. And anything else that would compromise your fast. Like for instance, if there is a person you know, where when you are around that person, it just brings out the worst in you. Then just be a little bit mindful of that. All right. And so on and so forth. And again, there's some more kind of like mature uh, topics here um, that can fall under anything else that would compromise your fast. That just be mindful of that. Right. If somebody struggles with looking at inappropriate things online, then just kind of, you know, just remove that from yourself. While you're fasting, right? Um, even for married couples, the Prophet ﷺ, uh, a, a companion came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, um, you know, my wife and I are newly married. They were a young couple. And he said that, can I still continue to, can my wife and I continue to still physically show each other affection the way we normally do? Hugging and kissing and things like that while we're fasting as long as... Again, we're not violating the fast. And the Prophet ﷺ said, don't. Another companion came along who had been Muslim for longer, was a little bit more experienced and older, and had been married for longer, so was used to how to navigate the situation. And he asked the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ said, yeah, that's fine, that doesn't break your fast. So the companions inquired from the Prophet ﷺ, why one answer to one and another answer to the other? And he said, because... The younger, newly wed, newer Muslim couple is not used to navigating this fasting and marriage situation. So I'm telling them to not put themselves in a compromising situation. As opposed to somebody who has 
some experience and figured it out, right? Of course, obviously, there's a beautiful hadith of the Prophet ﷺ about not engaging in confrontational behavior specifically. And there's something very beautiful that this narration says, Right? Don't fight and quarrel with one another. But if somebody tries to fight you, if somebody tries to get in your face, Back away and say, I'm fasting. I'm not going to bother with this here today. And just in general, the Prophet ﷺ taught us, make your days of fasting unlike your days of eating. Um, where we talked about this before, that if you do not leave your bad habits while you're fasting, you essentially have just starved yourself for the day, and that has no spiritual significance or value. Um, we're going to go ahead and stop this session here, inshallah. I'm going to pause uh, my portion here, rather, excuse me. And uh, we will continue with Ustada uh, Fatima, who's going to talk to us about the virtues, the benefits, and the blessings of the month of Ramadan, inshallah. Very quickly, um, to just give everyone kind of an idea and introduction. I know many of y'all are familiar already with Qalam and everyone at Qalam. But those who are not, Alhamdulillah, you're going to be hearing from a lot of, not all of, but a lot of the instructors, uh, the teachers, the scholars that we have at Qalam. So inshallah, uh, hopefully you're able to benefit from everyone. So inshallah, you'll be hearing now from Ustada Fatima. Jazakumullah. Thank you.